It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, We may not be able to prepare the future for our children, but we can at least prepare our children for the future. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com or our social media channels. Download some after-episode extras, such as our thorough Secure Rewind show notes and our bonus Bible study questions available on our individual episode pages. And look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what is on the table for today? Well, this is part three of our three-part series. This episode is How Do We Cope with Anxiety and Depression in Our Kids? And our theme text is found in James chapter 1, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. So the question again, how do we cope with anxiety and depression in our kids? Life can be a real challenge when we are pressed by personal anxiety or depression. These things can not only burden our days, they can constrict and suffocate our very moments. As difficult as living under these circumstances is, think about the overwhelming confusion that anxiety and depression would bring to a child. They begin to see the world through the eyes of fear and uncertainty. They lose interest in things that used to excite them, and they have no idea why this is happening or or what to do about it. They withdraw, they lash out, and they feel alone. Anxiety and depression in children is a real thing. It is far more common than we would like to think, and for parents, it is a fearful and confusing issue of life. So, coming up in today's podcast... Sometimes the challenges and hardships we are handed seem hopelessly impossible to cope with. One of these challenges, as we're talking about, is managing, raising, and nurturing a child with emotional health issues. So in segment one, we introduce a social worker whose job is to help families through this difficult labyrinth. So how do you help a child not only understand the challenges of anxiety and depression, how do you help them accept those challenges? In segment two, we deal with this. What does help and treatment actually look like for a kid? Well, in segment three, we're going to describe many aspects of this part of things. And finally, what about parents? How do we as parents understand, accept, and learn to work through these things? Segments four and five will lay this out. How do we deal with it? How do we try to understand it? How do we become the best parents possible to help our children to cope? Good, good questions. A difficult subject. So we brought Julie back to help us with this. Julie, thanks for being back with us. Help us get started with a little bit of a review of the last two podcasts. Well, we made it. (laughs) This is a very difficult but important topic. So this is the third and final program in our Anxiety and Depression series. On our first episode, number 1124, 
we interviewed special guests, Jane and Joan Landino. They were advanced practice registered nurses in the fields of psychiatry and addiction. They talked about the difference between anxiety and depression and the treatment and the stigma associated with both. And on episode uh, 1125, part two, we met with a young singer-songwriter named Kylie Odetta, who went through a time of crippling anxiety. We talked with her in detail how she was able to recover from her experience, as well as her techniques to shorten future relapses. So when we talk about kids on today's program, I know, you know this whole program is devoted to uh, anxiety in children and depression in children. Does this apply though? Are we talking about little kids, teenagers, adult children? What? Is this only for parents? What about aunts, uncles, grandparents, friends? Who, who, who's our audience today? All of the above. Thank you for bringing that up. It really, when we talk about kids, you know, it's kids of all ages, but everyone who goes through this or knows somebody going through this, this podcast, this episode is definitely for you because this is a very broad-based subject. And what we're going to find is we all need to band together to really help with these things. So to get started, we want to introduce another guest for this particular podcast. Uh, her name is Taryn Zarnetsky, and we did an interview with her just a little bit ago, and we're going to go and get a little bit of background on Taryn right now. What about our children and their potential battles with anxiety and depression and the like? So how do you manage that? To answer that, we needed another expert. So I am here with Taryn Zarnetsky. Hello, Taryn. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Before we get started, Taryn, how about a little bit just of your background? What do you do? What kind of certification do you have? And how did you get into this particular field working with children? So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, um, and I work at Yale New Haven Hospital um, in our Children's Day Hospital, which is intensive outpatient therapy, um, primarily group therapy for children age 6 to 12. Um, I've been working with kids for quite some time now. It's kind of just been, it's evolved into one of the specialties that I have. Um, I really appreciate working with kids. I feel like they have much more insight than we give them credit for. Um, and I really, I always learn from kids um, while I'm doing this work with them. So it's really kept me engaged in, in working with this population. Okay, so you know what we're going to do with Taryn throughout this podcast is ask her very pointed questions about all aspects of working with kids, dealing with anxiety and depression and such. And today we will suggest five scripturally based parenting principles as guidelines for powerful parenting. These principles first appeared in episode 1010, How Parental is Our Parenting. We will take the general parenting principles from that episode and reapply them in the context of parenting children who are faced with the highly challenging circumstances of anxiety and depression. So we're taking some Christian principles that we've already talked about, reapplying them here so we can get a, a, a broad-based approach from a professional perspective as well as from a biblical perspective. So let's go back to Taryn as we unfold what we're actually dealing with. First of all, with children, what are the most common kinds of issues that you see with kids? You know, anxiety, depression, anger. What, what, what do you see more often? And just give us a, an overview on those things. 
Sure. Well, well, all of those, we see anxiety, depression, anger, trauma. Um, oftentimes, kids come to our program with what appears to just be a change in their behavior, whether they're acting out more often or they're isolating a little bit more and it's unclear really what's happening for them. So um, we really kind of look at, at what, their, what the behavioral changes are um, and, and we work with those pieces. That must be when, when kids come to you, it, it must have been because of something that was very you know, upsetting in terms of a family environment, I would think. Very just it's just very out of the ordinary. Sometimes, yes, absolutely. Um, sometimes there's there's family trauma, but sometimes kids have a shift in their their mood and their affect and um, there's not always a clear trigger. Okay. All right. So it can be something traumatic or something that looks like it perhaps has grown over time and then it sort of clicks in. Yes, absolutely. You know, Rick, I wanted to point out something that Taryn just said. She said, sometimes kids have a shift in their mood and their affect, and there's not always a clear trigger. The word affect here is a noun, meaning an immediately expressed or observed emotion. It's a feeling state becomes an affect when it's observable. And an affect is distinguished from mood, which refers to a pervasive and sustained emotion. That's a term that I had not heard before. So just wanted to clarify that. Well, and it's important because she, Taryn, is going to be giving us that professional perspective on what they look for and how they deal with very, very serious, difficult hard, challenging issues. And that's, these are the things that they look at as professionals. So thank you for that, that clarification. As we go through our, our podcast today, we're going to be dealing with five very specific, as Jonathan said, very specific parenting principles. So Jonathan, what is the first one of those five? A caring parent is needed to raise a challenged child. Parental caring is acting according to the best long-term interests of your children. And parental caring, sorry, parental caring is not a series of emotional displays. It's a series of courageous actions. So we need parents that are ready to work with both heart, heart and head. And, and that's an important combination. And a lot of times we really think about caring is, you know, how you feel. It's much, much more than that. We'll develop that as we go here. The need for courage, though. The need for courage cannot be overstated. When our kids are struggling with such overwhelming challenges as anxiety and depression and so forth, we need as parents to dig deep beyond our own fear and insecurity to find ways to help them. That is easier said than done. It requires a lot of effort and a lot of discipline and a lot of heart on the part of a parent. So, Wow, you know, Rick, that's difficult. Can parents really do all this work for their children? It, that's not a quick fix. No. As a matter of fact, maybe we should not even look at it as a fix. We should look at it, at, look at it as a process, the process of growing into that ever better caring parent through our actions and our heart as well. So you're right, Jonathan, it's not a quick fix. We're not suggesting at any point in this podcast that there's any quick fix. We're suggesting the effort and getting the help to make that effort. Let's go back to Taryn. And uh, we were going to be asking her about helping kids understand what's happening to them. How do you bring a child around to understanding what they're dealing with? It, it must be awfully difficult for a child to kind of like be out of their, their, their normal way of being. How do, you, how do you handle that in terms of helping them understand it? 
Well, I think it's really important for them to understand that that we're listening to them. Kids often come to us having an experience that that nobody really gets them. Nobody understands what they're going through or they're not asking questions about how they're doing or what's wrong with them. So a lot of the work at the beginning of our treatment just has to do with just letting them talk, letting them talk it out, whatever it may be, without any judgment. That's the thing that they fear the most is that they're going to be judged for the things that they're experiencing, whether it's their internal thought process or the behaviors that they're presenting with. So we really try to give them that space to know that they're not in it alone. Um, that we're, we want to hear from them. We want to understand what's going on for them and that we're going to work through that when we're on their team. So listening without judgment, that seems to be an overriding theme, at least in, yeah. in the very beginning, to give them confidence. And, and I assume that's what it is. It's giving them confidence that, hey, I can talk to you because you are not coming back at with me with some kind of proclamation. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we um, we sometimes we, we want to be careful not to make too many assumptions about what's going on for them. Of course, they'll let us know if our assumptions are wrong, but we really want to get them to tell us what's happening for them and what in the, in the most natural way that they can. Um, and so sometimes that takes a little bit of time because they're still learning how to communicate in general. So let alone something that's so complex like talking about our emotions um, or depression. How how do you talk about that? Adults struggle with it. So for sure, a child will as well. So understanding, getting them to understand is is essentially giving them the safety of listening non-judgmental ears. And, you know, the, the whole idea of listening with those non-judgmental ears to, to be able to listen without judgment so that you can get a, a child to express themselves, that in and of itself takes an immense amount of effort. And you already can get a sense on how difficult this work must be that these folks do. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to have this kind of help. And that's really going to be a theme as we go through this. The uh, parenting principle of caring that we were talking about in action. The Apostle Paul, his parental caring was shown by sending, this is interesting, scripturally, sending a trusted co-laborer to help what he determined to be those he called his spiritual children. We're going to go, Jonathan, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't become their father, but he was a father figure to them in teaching them the gospel. And he's treating them with the love and care and respect that he would treat his own children. That's what he's saying here. And he's, he's wanting to reach out, but he's not able to go. Let's finish the verses. I appeal to you, then, be imitators of me. For this reason, I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus, as I teach them everywhere in every church. So so parents, as a Christian parent, want to take the principle of this and look at it in our own lives when we have children that need so much help. Don't give in to those mortified feelings of, of what do I do, what do I do? Send those who are trustworthy to help whether it be an aunt or an uncle or a grandfather or a brother or a sister, and, and absolutely professionals. The Apostle Paul sent somebody he trusted to help build them up. Don't be afraid to get others involved to help you build up 
your children here and now with all of this. This is what caring looks like. But parenting without dealing with mental illness is hard enough. This all seems really overwhelming for a parent and really all the family members. What about just leaving it alone and hoping the kid grows out of the phase? Yeah, no. (laughs) No, no. Because it's not a phase, and that's the thing. When you're dealing with anxiety and depression, this is something that can grow and fester inside of a child, and without treatment, it gets worse and it gets bigger. So ignoring it because it's hard is not the way to be able to get to a place where you're going to help that child find peace within themselves. And isn't that the goal, to help that child find peace within themselves? So we've got to be really careful to be humble enough to say, wow, I think we need help here. So Jonathan, let's wrap up this segment. Each segment we want to wrap up with a, with a point on parenting strength. What is it for this segment? Care with both your heart and your mind. This means less reacting and more responding. Okay, less reacting, more responding. What if your parents say, yeah, but, but I don't know how to do that. I, I, I've never done that. Okay, no problem. If you're not there yet, here's what we do. We start now. And how do we start with little, little, small steps? Take small steps. That's a theme for this. Parents, as, as you are dealing with this, don't be afraid to take those small steps as you work your way into dealing with something that is completely overwhelming to you that you never expected to see happening. Let's look at caring through the eyes of a lifetime. My caring should positively contribute to my kids' lifetime. Most every parent cares about their kids. How does that caring become a vital lifetime contribution? Our YouTube channel has a lot going on. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Featuring new releases every week. Check out our playlists like CQ Kids, Moments That Matter, and CQ Bible 101. Plus, we have even more new series content planned to roll out soon. So stay tuned at ChristianQuestions.com slash Look, we all know that parenting doesn't come with a handbook. We also know that whenever we want to improve our abilities in some area of life, we need to be willing to do the work. Managing kids with anxiety or depression challenges us to higher levels of competence, and this is not easy. What we're talking about today on no level is easy, and we want to recognize that And as we recognize that it's difficult, we also want to present you with the ideas, with thinking, with professional background, with scriptures, and with lots and lots and lots of hope that you can work through this. So, Jonathan, that first parenting principle was caring. What's our second parenting principle we want to use as a theme for this segment? A competent parent is needed to raise a challenged child. To have parental competence is to seek our highest maturity and our strongest grounded character. I noticed, Jonathan, you said seek our highest maturity and strongest characters, and we strive for competence. This isn't an arrival statement. It's a journey statement. Competence adopts the lessons of the experiences of life for the purpose of growth and long-term victory. So the idea of being competent is not like, oh, bless me so I can be competent. It's help me take the steps, and that's what competence is. It's the process of learning as we go. True competence can't be learned from a book. 
It has to be learned through life. Competence in managing a child with anxiety or depression is rarely instinctual. Find help with that. Just you've got to find help with that. Well, Rick, parents might think, how can I fit professional counseling in when there's so much going on like work, school, sports, church, PTA, yoga, the gym, and summer camp? We're maxed out. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. How can you fit it in? Here's the real question, folks. How can you not fit it in? If your child is struggling with something that's so unusual in in your own experience and it's coming out of nowhere and you have no idea what or why, to help them becomes one of the highest priorities of your entire family. Is it hard? Yes. Does it take sacrifices? Yes. Is it costly? Yes. I'm not talking about financially, but costly in terms of, of, of time and investment. Is it worth it? Oh, yes. So even though it's so difficult, we need to be able to do it. And here's the thing. As a Christian, we glorify God by taking care of the family unit. That's how we do it. That's how we bring glory to God. It's not through all of our activities. It's taking care of those basic responsibilities that he has given to us. So let's go back to Taryn, um, and we talked about in the last segment, she was explaining how to help kids understand their, their issues. And now we want to take it just a step further than that. You start to build that understanding. How do you get a child to get on the path to accepting that maybe the path they're on is, is different than they thought it would ever be or something that's completely out of the ordinary, they've never seen this or heard of this before? How do you get them to accept what's happening? Well, I think acceptance is a process. It's it's understanding that there may be some bumps in the road. Those bumps don't have to define them. I think that's what the what they fear the most. Sometimes those, even if it's a minor setback in their treatments or in, in life um, that triggers some emotional reaction, they worry that that's going to be the, the thing that defines them. But one of the things that we try to really work on with them is to understand that that doesn't have to be a defining moment for them. It's something we can learn from and we work through together. So not a defining moment, but a learning moment mm-hmm. and, and taking it out of the, okay, this is a, a, a reason to put me in this particular box to no, this is a reason to help you flourish in life. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to be placed in a box. Um, you can experience different things, but you don't have to have a narrative that you're the bad kid that's got the big behaviors that's acting out, or you don't have to be the kid that um, is depressed or anxious. We can work through those things. And certainly we understand them. We'll learn how to understand them together and we'll figure out the types of things that help you get through those feelings but they don't have to define you. And again, that's a a really very basic and important thing is helping a child to understand. And when we talk about children, you know, it's it's echoing in my mind that you're really talking to adults as well. Mm -hmm. Helping to understand that things that happen to you don't have to be the defining parts of you. They can just be, like you said, perhaps bumps along the road or places to learn things and grow from and grow through. So I'll tell you, folks, as, as you listen to Taryn talk, Here's the thing I want you to ask yourself. If you have a child who's got challenges, wouldn't you want your child to be able to talk to somebody like that, who has got that approach, that patience, and that knowledge to help draw them out and say, look, you don't have to be defined by this. You're bigger than this. We're going to help you learn through this whole thing. So we've got to understand the power of having somebody who knows help us as parents. 
So we'll put that on pause for a second. Let's go to the scriptural parenting principles that we want to look at. Let's look to the Apostle Paul. His focused teaching, he had a lot of parental competence. He was qualified to help and feed those who needed higher levels of competence. And in this next scripture, he's talking to adults, but he's talking to them in a very honest way, saying you need to learn to grow up through your experiences. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So the Apostle Paul is talking to adults saying, hey, you know, there's some growing up that you need to do. We may not be equipped as parents at this moment and and being faced with uh, challenges that our children have. We may not be equipped to handle our children's issues when they become evident. This doesn't have to be an issue. If you're not equipped, it's okay. What's important is what we decide to do with our present state, not the fact that we're not ready for it. It's okay to not be ready for it, but let's do the things that can help us to learn how to be ready and learn the competence that we need. So, Jonathan, let's finish verse 14 of Hebrews 5. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. So the Apostle Paul is telling adults that maturity comes through the training of practice. Parents, it's the same thing. When you've got a child who's got these these difficult, difficult issues, we have to be willing to go through the training of practice and learning how to manage, how to deal with these kinds of things. So with our eye on growing into competence— Again, this is a journey. It's not a destination. Competence is a journey. So with our eye on growing into competence for the sake of our child, we can also be growing into competence as Christians, growing into competence in Christ. It's a win-win when we're looking to grow up and through these things. We don't want to be satisfied where we are, but we want to be satisfied that we are on a journey towards where we need to be. I want to comment that you are intentionally using very specific words and phrases on this podcast. And for those of our listeners who are dealing with this situation, we highly encourage them to carefully read the CQ Rewind show notes. They're available usually less than a week after each podcast airs live. The CQ Rewind show notes, they include all of these transcripts with Taryn, every scripture that we quote today, as well as much of our commentary, they're available at christianquestions.com. And every week we mail them to those who sign up for our newsletter at our website, or just text the word CQ Rewind to number 22828 to easily sign up. That's CQ Rewind, just text it to 22828, and we can sign up for the newsletter, and you get that every week. And especially with a subject like this, you want to have that written document with the scriptures, with the commentary, so you can see what Taryn says. It's great to hear it, but it's another thing to be able to see it and look at it, underline it, and circle things, to be able to focus in on, I've got a challenge. Here's somebody who knows how to deal with my challenge. Let me learn from them. Let me take these things. Let Let me take a phrase and put it on my refrigerator. Do whatever it takes so we can grow into helping our children. And, you know, part of helping our children is understanding that there are tools. And that's what Taryn is going to talk to us about next. 
So now what about tools? In all of our um, previous conversations we've had with other uh, other individuals, there's always talk about using tools and, and, and things that are available. So there's probably a lot of different ways tools are used. So explain to me, typical kid comes in very, very befuddled by their own behavior, just not understanding themselves. Their parents are probably a little bit bewildered. Where do tools come in? How do you introduce them? What kind of tools there are? Let's see where we go with that. That's one of the things we learn from kids. So so some tools work really well across the board and others have to be a little bit more individualized. But I think one of the things that you hit on is that everybody, you know, when kids come to come to us, you know, there's often a, a time where it's, it's everybody in the family has that bewilderment of what is going on and, and how do we work through this. So one of the things that I, I think we find most effective is when we empower not only the kids with certain tools to work through their emotions and to communicate about what's going on, but we empower their parents at the same time with those same strategies. And it's really important that um, the adults help help with that because it creates a foundation of safety um, and a safety net for if those moments where there's setbacks or there's extra challenges, if those moments come up, they can work through them together. So we do a lot of um, recognizing what's happening in, in our body when these when these tough things um, occur. So what happens in our body when we're feeling anxious? What happens when we're feeling sad? How does that impact our thought process? And we start to understand that connection in order to start to make some changes in how we're behaving and how we're communicating. Okay, so the first thing that, that jumps out at me when you're talking is, is this idea of tools. One tool is that of recognition. And when you look at that and say, and, and I really appreciate the way you said that, what's happening in our body? And, and that helps to focus the recognition into something very, very, very clearly specific that a child might be able to begin to describe. So understanding what's happening, giving the parents, parents understanding and is all important. When you're dealing with a child who's got issues, what's the role of that individual child? You've talked about giving them a place where they can express themselves and start to understand and accept the things. What role are you going to ask them or teach them or guide them to play? Finding the way to um, take control over their actions. Um, they're not at fault for having depression or anxiety or having experienced a trauma, but they can find ways to address the things that happen because of depression, anxiety, or trauma. So we try to empower them to just recognize that, you know, oh, that's that's what's happening to me. I'm, I'm acting out right now because I'm sad, but I can talk about this and I can let the people around me know I just need a minute alone or, or in fact, the opposite. I need to talk to somebody. Sometimes um, kids act out because they don't know what else to do. So we like to try to give them the space to communicate that and to say it out loud so they can find the strategies. And if they can't find the strategies, they can get the support from the people around them to find the strategies to, to feel better. So they're kind of the guidance system that can really help us understand what to do. So there's there's such a such an important part here there's a lot of important parts empower the parents and children to work through the issues recognize and i love the phrase i know i already commented on it but recognize what's happening in your body and that focuses a child on being able to stop think about themselves and then as they build trust be able to describe what's happening 
it's such a powerful thing to have the right kind of person asking your child who's suffering with difficulties the right kinds of questions. You know, we've got a listener, uh, a long-term listener named Dodie, who's a retired Christian marriage and family counselor. And she wrote to us with an unusual tool that she has used with her patients to combat the anxiousness that comes at night for parents or really for any of us. You know, we've all been wide awake worrying over something. And this technique is based on the inability for the brain to think two thoughts at one time. Fear and faith cannot occupy the same space. So her suggestion is to write in your own words the entire story of, let's say, for example, Noah. Put in as many details as you can. Reread it until you almost have it memorized. So when you go to bed, visualize it like you were creating a movie. Describe cutting down the trees, hauling the timber, climbing the ladders. Walk through the ark. What does it smell like? Where are the animals? Where is your food? What does the family member say? Be there like you're watching in virtual reality. There's so many details that you could work on this scenario night after night for months. And Jesus taught us to think about others and do for others. So instead of concentrating on our worries, rewriting the Noah story is shifting our attention to God and to Noah and meditating on the details we read in the Bible. So this is just an idea of how to fill our subconscious with godly thoughts and hopefully get a good night's rest. (laughs) And that's really, especially for parents, this is a hard thing to do. So just another suggestion to help us refocus because we want to be able to find a way to get our mind focusing and thinking on the right kinds of things. So Jonathan, as we wrap up this particular segment, what's the parenting strength lesson we want to draw from it? True parental competence is the act of growing through the journey. It's not a destination. To absorb this ever-growing competence, we need to look to those who can help us and teach us. And see, that is such an important thing. We're not naturally competent when it comes to things like this. And that's okay. It's all right. Don't worry. Well, I'm not there. What do I do? Start. How do I start? small steps, get some help, work on one thing. And, and like Julie said, you know, just get your mind to be able to relax a little bit and realize that if you're seeking the right kind of help and, and you're trying to take the small steps and you want to be competent, that your mind can begin to open up to competence. But it's really important to get the right kind of help so we can go the right kind of direction. And again, I'm going to stress this throughout the podcast. When you hear somebody like Taryn speak about these things, wouldn't you want somebody like that talking to your child when they are struggling? This is a huge relief. It really doesn't matter what I don't know. It just matters what I do with my challenges. Caring is an action. Competence is a journey. How do these principles help us to be more capable? It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions Ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Support CQ in the top navigation menu. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan.
Now, kids who have such oversized challenges in their lives instinctively desire those who are capable to lean on. And again, this is daunting. Who among us would just march up to such a situation and say, hey, no problem, I've got this? To be truly capable comes through practicing tenacity and humility. So we want to focus on those kinds of things as we continue our conversation. We've talked about parental caring. We've talked about parental uh, competence. And we've talked about those two things as part of a journey. They're not destinations. They're part of the journey. What's the third parenting principle, Jonathan? A capable parent is needed to raise a challenged child. To be a capable parent is to have the capacity to absorb the challenges and failures often encountered along the road and use them as tools towards your ultimate objective. So be willing to learn from our failures along the way because a failure is only final if we don't learn from it. And that's such an important thing. So to be a capable parent doesn't mean you know how to do everything. It simply means you're willing to learn as you go, as you fall down, as you make a mistake. This is, again, it's daunting because as parents, we feel more scared than capable. This is where we need to accept that our capacity to be capable grows with our efforts to meet the challenges before us. So it doesn't, we're not being judged on the quality. We're being judged on the effort. We're being judged on putting our heart and soul and our mind and our, and, and our very best foot forward into trying to figure things out. So what if you feel more scared or even useless than capable? How do parents keep it together when they themselves are often broken? That's hard. I, I, I got, just, just got to tell you, that's hard. And one of the key things with that is to find those that you can trust, you can talk to. They may not have all the answers either, but they can be support. And as you seek to find those who actually do have answers and understanding, we need help and, and, and support along the way. And, you know, if you're a parent raising a child, maybe you have a brother or sister or, or one of your own parents or, or, some, or a friend of yours that, that you can rely on and say, man, I'm having such a hard time with this. I'm afraid. And that parent may not know what to say except, you know what, I'm afraid too, but let me be afraid with you. Okay, and just find those that you can rely on as you try to find the answers and find the processes that are there to help you. So, so it's possible that one of these other people may be able to get through to that child more so than even you as the parent. Is that right? Well, yeah. And, you know, that's another, another aspect of that, uh, that that's so important is to realize that sometimes communicating with a child comes better from somebody that's not their parent. You know, when my, when my kids were small, um, small, when they were teenagers especially, you know, I'm, I'm the dad and, you know, I think I know a lot and, you know, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But I figure, you know, there's things that I wanted them to know. Many times, instead of me telling them the things I needed that I thought they needed to know, I would tell my sister, my sister Marilee, and I'd say, Mary, listen, you know, one of my kids needs this and this and this. Next time, because they thought my sister Marilee was cool. You know, I'm not, okay, but she is. <laughs> Marilee is cool. I've met her. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, Mar- Marilee would talk to them, and, and a week or two later, they'd say, yeah, I was talking about Marilee. I mean, just what she told me. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. You find those who may be able to communicate with your kids. And so don't you have a 1% rule? What's your 1% rule? My, yes, I do. My 1% rule is if you're not capable just try to increase your capacity by 1%. Don't try to take on the whole thing. 
just work a little bit harder. Put that extra 1% in. And if we do that each and every time, we can grow through these things. So it's tough. Folks, if you're a parent, it's tough, but it's not undoable. It's just we have to decide we're on a journey, and it's a big journey. Let's go back to Taryn and talk about or hear her talk about kids helping kids. You had mentioned that you deal with groups of children. Mm-hmm. How, what, what's the dynamic of having a group of children together to the benefit of all of those children when you're dealing with them in a group? One of the things that I love about group work is that it allows the experience of dealing with mental health to not be as isolating. When you're in a space with other people who get it, who understand it, who have been working through it themselves, it allows you to have a connection, to know that you're not alone. This tough thing that you're working through and dealing with is not just on you. It's not, you're not the only person in the world that's experiencing it. And so oftentimes that's that's one of the biggest struggles because they do feel so isolated. They either don't know how to talk about it with their friends. They're fearful that they'll be judged about what's going on for them. Um, and so in a group space where where there can be that safety of confidentiality and non-judgment, they're offered that opportunity to see that there are other people that can understand them. And that's huge for them. And so in in that group environment, do you find that that children can can more easily reach out to even try to help the other other kids is, is oh absolutely yeah we see it often we see kids making connections on on the types of triggers they experience or the way the intensity of the feelings that they experience so sometimes they they help each other understand yeah wow i'm i'm noticing that i feel sad also but i feel sadness in a different way than you but how let's talk about how we can talk about that with other people um and that's something that I'm not sure in, you know, in an individual setting that they, they might be able to get. The power of numbers, and, and I'm going to get to a question on stigma in a moment, but the power of numbers is really, really amazing because mm-hmm. you get the, the synergy of everyone with a commonality that they're maybe not comfortable with but having to deal with, and they find a way to, to essentially build each other up. I imagine it's not all, all uh, rose petals and, and ice cream, though, huh? <laughs> No, no, no. They also <laughs> offer each other some very frank feedback as well, which is really helpful because it's a, it's a bit easier to hear feedback from a peer than it is to hear feedback from an adult. Interesting. Right. Oftentimes kids come to our group and one of the common themes amongst them is um, when they come to therapy, they're so used to being told what they're doing wrong um, and that they're making poor choices or that they shouldn't be doing certain things um, because remember they're coming oftentimes with you know changes in behavior so schools might be noticing oh they're acting out more or parents might be noticing they're not following directions very well at home so they're used to those those like finger shake moments and so i think you know when they come to group they might be expecting that and so when they get that space of the attentive, non-judgmental adults, it can be really helpful to kind of let that guard down. But then when they get the space of, okay, there's other people that get it and they, they're my peers and they've experienced some similar symptoms that I have and now we can talk about it, it lets them feel more comfortable with that feedback and then they offer it to each other. That's awesome. That's Good, awesome. bad, and ugly. <laughs> <laughs> but and you- we work through it. 
Well, and that's the point. You know, you have to, to work through it. And, and by working through it, you're also teaching them to just be patient with their own things and, and work through them as well. So again, we're stressing the idea, the necessity of getting help when you need help. And the help oftentimes comes with groups that we as parents would not have any any ability to reach into. And yet there's such power in kids helping kids and realizing they're not alone. Think about the advantages of getting the right kind of help when you have issues like this. Uh, you know, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, and there's a lot of great information on their website, that's adaa.org, um, a common type of anxiety is social anxiety disorder. It's also called social phobia. This is an intense anxiety or fear of being judged, negatively evaluated, or rejected in a social or performance situation. This goes well beyond shyness. And the key is it often starts manifesting in teens. So symptoms could be so extreme that they disrupt daily life and it might affect occupational performance or social life, making it difficult to complete school or to interview or get a job or have friendships or romantic relationships. People with this type of social anxiety disorder are also at an increased risk of depression and alcohol abuse. So I would think that this type of group therapy where kids can remove that intense scrutiny of their peers would be of great help to them. And, and it is proven to be of great help. And so, again, folks, when we have kids who have these, these, these challenges, please let's look toward those who can really help because that's their, their, their profession. That's what they're looking to do. You want somebody like Taryn reaching out to your child in situations like this. So, um, so Jonathan, as we talk about capable parenting, a capable parent is a humble parent. And this means you're willing to be emptied and then refilled. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Well, as a parent, we need to be humble. We shouldn't hesitate to say to our children, hey, I didn't handle what I said yesterday properly. Please forgive me. Rick, Rick um, what does that effect have on our children when we are humble towards them? You know, a child doesn't want a perfect parent that is, is completely right all the time. They want an honest parent. They want a sincere and humble individual who they know just loves them. And if we did raise our voice or we did do something that we shouldn't have done, to be able to just go back and, and correct it with our child is a powerful, powerful tool. So that's part of humility. Another part of humility for a Christian parent that's so incredibly important is get down on your knees and pray and look to God and say, Lord, help me to understand where to go, what to do, how to do it, who to talk to, what to trust, all of those things. Let your humility, the, the scripture says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. He wants to lift you up, but he can't unless you let him. And so the prayerful approach of a parent cannot be underestimated as the humble uh, honest approach of a parent with their child cannot be underestimated as well. Let's go back to Taryn and look at a little bit more at tools. 
So just a couple of examples of the kinds of tools that you might give to a child to take home and apply. I know we talked about recognition and, and all of that, but I mean, breathing exercises, what, what kinds of things would you want a child to, to take home with them and say, okay, I need to do this now? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we do a lot of work around um, deep breathing. It can be really helpful for them because it calms them down and it stops them from having that big emotional response it does a lot of wonderful things for their bodies. And so it definitely helps them to feel a little bit of relief from that that escalation in their behavior or their mood. And the other thing that we like to do, and we've done it in our groups, is progressive muscle relaxation. It can be really helpful because it works. It helps them work out some of those um, intense feelings that they have in their bodies. And it helps them get to a really awesome place of feeling a bit more relaxed and a bit a bit more capable of being able to control themselves and their bodies. So, you know, part of this whole thing is not just talking to them, but it's teaching them how to handle their bodies and their reactions and so forth. And again, folks, most of us, we're just not, we don't know what to do or how to teach them, but they do. Let's let those who know do what they do to help us so we can be more capable parents. A capable parent is willing to learn to do the things necessary to be an example for their children. And Jonathan, this this scripture kind of reminds me of your last question about, you know, being that humble parent, doing what you need to do. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The point of the scripture for parents dealing with their children with these difficult challenges is is to focus on you've got an objective. You want to give that child hope and you want to give them help and you need to put yourself second so often so that you can put them first and discipline ourselves so we can build our children up. From humility grows the ability to be an example. Yeah, I, I got a question. How do you find a Terran? You know, <laughs> what if you, your child has a problem? Where do, I don't know where to go. Well, who do I even start calling? How do you, how do you find Terran? Okay, that's a really good question. And folks, I'm not going to answer that question yet because Taryn actually answers that question later on in the podcast. So stay with us. And Julie, I'm glad you brought it up. It's just something to look forward to because you want to find a Taryn. Uh, Believe me when I tell you, you want to find someone. And and in my experience, there are lots of people that are like this, that have this caring and this knowledge and this compassion and this desire to help your kids. So stay with us for that. Taryn will get into that in more detail. Let's get into the difficulty of stigma. Let me ask you about stigma because stigma is a big deal. Somebody is diagnosed in a relatively young age with anxiety and depression, and you had alluded to it earlier. I don't want to be that kid. I don't want to be the one who people look at and say, he's crazy. How do you help them deal with that, that feeling? talk about it. Kids, much like adults, are not afraid to say what what those fears are. Um, oftentimes coming into therapy, if it's especially the first time they've ever experienced therapy, there's a lot of unknowns about what that process looks like and how they'll experience it. So we talk about it and we help them understand what to expect. We empower them with that information so that 
they feel like they can be part of the process versus us telling them this is what's going to happen and this is what what you're going to do. We, we work together. It's a partnership. To help them deal with the issue, you uh, alert them and then build them, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. You're, you're building and you know you keep coming back to you talk to them and you talk to them and talking means listening. And I think that that's one of the things that, and we're going to get to parents in just a second here, but that's one of the, the, the biggest challenges is to be quiet enough to listen long enough to get to the core of a matter. Be quiet enough to listen long enough to actually hear something. Too often we're too focused on the next thing. Be quiet enough, patient enough to listen. And this is learned. This is a learned art, and and you can learn a lot from folks who know how to do these things. Let's get back to capable parenting, and you know, first of all, with the stigma thing, help to empower the child to recognize what is and what is not, reveal the unknown to them, and that gives them incredible power. Do not make light of a child dealing with the feeling of, of the stigmatization that could possibly happen here. So, a capable parent is also willing to look for the places in their own experience that need maturity. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Okay, so... We are no longer to be taught like children, tossed about by all the things that happen. And sometimes our own emotions are the waves that can toss us about when we are trying to figure out, what happened to my child? Why are we where we are? So we want to be willing to go through the growth process of how to manage all of that. And again, this is, this is a, a matter, if you're a Christian parent, it's a matter of taking your faith and applying it to the difficulty with your child. There's, that's what we're supposed to do. It's not a different thing. It's all the same thing. We bring God glory when we apply our faith to our child's difficulties so that we can help them build up. So Jonathan, parenting strength as we wrap up this segment. A truly capable parent is one who is committed to the never-ending adventure of learning and growing. Every experience, especially our failures, can offer opportunity for greater capacity. Okay, the never-ending adventure of learning and growing. You know, we want to frame it that way because sometimes it's hard, hard, arduous work. But it's that adventure of growing that makes us capable. Folks, what if you're not capable? What if you say, I I can't, I just can't, I don't know how? That's okay. It's okay to be there. So what do you do? You start. You start now by learning one thing, that 1% rule that we talked about. Take wherever you are, add 1% to it. Start here, start now, take small steps so you can grow into the role that you need to be. It's not easy, but it can be done small step by small step by small step. Becoming more capable as a parent is not a matter of pass or fail. It's more of a function of growing in wisdom. To be caring, competent, and capable are worthy goals. What happens when I want to just be angry? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. 
So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible Study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? The idea of being angry, this is truly one of the great challenges we have when nurturing children with anxiety and depression issues. There's nothing wrong with our angry or frustrated emotions, but we do need to be sure that we don't make anyone a victim of them. It's all about remembering the highest good. And for a parent, for a Christian parent, that's where our faith comes in, that's where prayer comes in, that's where trying to deal with this and getting the help we need both spiritually and physically is such an important part of this. Okay, so we just talked about being a capable parent. Jonathan, what's our fourth parenting principle? A personally controlled parent is needed to raise a challenged child. To exhibit parental control can be extraordinarily difficult parenting characteristic because it requires the firm governing of our emotions. If we don't govern our own emotions, how is it that we should expect our children to govern theirs? Personal parental control. Controlling myself requires learning to see yourself from the outside in, just as your child would see you. Our actions must be based on righteous principles and not immediate feelings, our actions now. Look, we have all kinds of thoughts, but as we learned last week, all thoughts don't have to be equal. A thought, just because it comes into your head, doesn't necessarily deserve to stay there. What we want to do is control ourselves. To exhibit parental control is not for the faint of heart. And folks, if you're not good at that, it's okay. What you do is you start, you begin. And a really good scripture to help us understand that is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. This is a short scripture, but it's right to the point. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And Rick, I was thinking about this. What am I looking like to my child, fearsome or firm? Can anger be a tool for our kids? You know, anger can be a tool, but if you are just lashing out in anger, that's not a tool. You know, it, it, have you ever tried to use a hammer and just whip it around and hit whatever is in front of you? It's not a good idea, is it? No. <laughs> but a hammer used in the right way is a powerful tool of construction. Otherwise, it's a powerful tool of destruction. That's the way we need to handle our anger, constructively, with the idea that it can be a tool to help our kids. So yeah, Jonathan, anger can be a tool, but it can't come just out of pure emotion. It has to have a reason. Well, doesn't our anger still have to glorify God? Yes, it should. This is a hard one. We should do an entire podcast on this point because this is a hard one. And again, if we use anger, Jesus used his anger as a tool to glorify God. It wasn't an outrageous emotional outburst. It was a controlled, he several times had a controlled response to something that needed correcting. He corrected it, and the anger didn't linger. That's how we learn to glorify God with our own anger. We should use it as a tool for good. 
And if it's not going to be a tool for good folks, I would absolutely encourage you just to think about, maybe I should put this aside. I shouldn't take it out on somebody. Now look, sometimes you're angry and you got to vent. Great. Do that. But don't make somebody a victim of it. Vent to your spouse, to somebody who will understand that you're purely venting, where it can be, it can be vented out and harmlessly drain away. Please, let's be careful with anger. Let's. I'm glad you brought up Jesus as an example because we have a CQ Kids video called "Did Jesus Ever Get Angry?" And with many of our CQ Kids videos, this is a good video for adults to watch just two minutes animated, and you can learn about the specific times Jesus displayed anger. That's christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Okay, so a, a kid's video for that, and that's, that is very, very helpful. Now, we're going we're gonna to really focus now on the family aspect of these things uh, for, the, for the balance of the podcast. So let's go back to Taryn and have her explain to us a lot of the family dynamics issues that may come up. Parents, again, these things are hard for a parent and look, I, I raised three children and, you know, life wasn't all roses and ice cream, you know, in our, in our experience either. And you go through things and you start to question your parenting skills and abilities and all of these things. So I imagine in this particular situation, you find the same kinds of things. What kind of challenges do you encounter with family dynamics when, when especially when kids come for the first time? Well, first of all, I think the stigma, again, if it's the first time they've come to treatment, they're really uncertain about what this means. There's a, a stranger in our life. We're going to have to talk about really uncomfortable things, um, or will we? Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a, a lot of questions about that will look like. So that that's a big part of what we do to kind of understand what the family's needs are. But sometimes in those conversations, we notice that parents can sometimes be on different pages about what either their perception of the problem is or what they think they need to do to fix it or to deal with it. And so that sometimes can cause some uncertainty in um, in the treatment for kids when parents aren't seeing eye to eye about that stuff. Let's just address that for a moment. You have two parents that see this very differently and you're watching through the experience and of, of what you know and understand through your education, through your experience with many, 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 many children, and you're seeing that one or both of them are, are not on the page they really need to be to help the, the progress. What do you do? How do you handle that? Part of what helps me um, is when I have a good understanding of, of what the child is dealing with, I can help them, I can help the parents then understand the kid's perspective. Sometimes we're so focused on our, our own adult agenda as to what we need to do to fix things that we sometimes forget that we have to understand what the kid is asking for and what the kid needs to feel better. So sometimes just getting back to basics about that can be really helpful. Um, and so we do a lot of work around that. Let's let's try to understand this situation from your child's eyes. How might they be experiencing this? When you're dealing with the parents, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like what you do is you advocate for the mm -hmm. child's perspective because the ability for a parent to hear the child's perspective from someone other than the child, someone who actually knows, is probably very, very, very enhanced because now you've been working with their child. And if you say, hey, listen, here is what they're feeling and here's what they're experiencing and, and then making suggestions. So, so really, the entire theme for everything you have said, everything, is to listen enough 
to understand, to be able to then respond with understanding and not judgment. Mm-hmm. A lot said there, a lot said there. And the, 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 the point of listening enough to understand and the point of we'll work together with the parents and whatever page they're on, we're going to draw them in as best as we can and as much as they're, they're willing to let us so we can all be on the same page for the sake of this child and for the sake of this family. And let's remember that that's what they do. It's for the sake of your family, not just the child. It's the big picture that these folks can help with. So folks, again, we implore you that when you have issues, please don't be afraid to get the right kind of help that you need. Yeah, I just wanted to bring in a quick chat comment, you know, at christianquestions.com under the listen live tab, while we're here on air, there is a chat room and you can chat with other listeners and we get fed into what those comments are. And so Rachel brings up this comment that says, good point on being quiet for long enough to listen. Helping our troubled children can be a long path with ups and downs on the journey. I'm reminded of Galatians 6, 9. So let us not become tired of doing good, for if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap the harvest. So thank you very much, Rachel, and for all those on the chat, we appreciate your comments. And, and such a, a well-placed scripture here. And, you know, in, 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 our, in our discussion up to this point, we've, we've talked about, in the previous two parts, we've talked about the idea that chaos creates clarity. And what that means is if we're willing to look to see what's in the mess we can find the clarity of where to go next. Parents don't necessarily know how to do that, but the professionals do. So if we can let them see the chaos, they can help us find the clarity so we can move forward. Rick, what about the toll this takes on the siblings? Their time is diminished because so much attention goes to the one with depression or anxiety. Can there be collateral damage through this process? This is a hard question, Jonathan, and I'm, actually I'm glad you asked it, and I wish I had asked that specific question to Taryn, I didn't. But it, there, there can be if we're not careful, because it's like all of a sudden this is the big attention getter, and now what do I need to do to get the attention that I wanted or used to have? And so parents need to be wise in dealing with those things, and again, if you have professional inputs, what you do is you ask them to help you manage that. But it is costly. There's no question. It's difficult. There's no question. And and when we're talking about being personally controlled, that's hard because you feel like I this is too much. I just can't do it. And you want you you you, you want to, you know, bust the valve and, and and we have to be able to say in our lives, in our Christian lives, let's keep looking up in faith. So it's a, an important question. Thank you. Personal parental control, controlling ourselves. It desperately needs daily wisdom from above for proper guidance. And, and that chat comment quoted Ephesians 6, 9. We're going to actually quote here Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, simple. Do not provoke your children to anger. So in other words, you want to teach them, you need to discipline them when necessary, but the scripture says don't provoke them to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's an art to that. You know, God knows your child better than you do, and godly principles will always work if we use them in the right places and the right circumstances. So let's not forget God's parenting of us and his knowledge of our own children. 
So let's talk about parents feeling judged by others. You know, when those on the outside looking into a family struggling with this or other problems, our instinct is to help, but we want to help in a way that's helpful and not hurtful. And one of our CQ team members has had well-meaning people tell her, oh, God is giving you this experience again because you must not have learned the lessons the first time around. So what's the appropriate response to that kind of, you know, air quote, help, <laughs> you know, when it, it, it gets received as being hurtful, like you, you failed and so God's got to help you again? <laughs> Well, you know, there's two things. The appropriate response would be to to assume, absolutely assume that the comment is made in in your best interest with not with trying to break you down but trying to build you up. Maybe it wasn't stated the best way because you know, you know, you can be the implication can be, well, what do you mean? I didn't learn what I'm supposed to. How do you know that? You know, so yeah. we can we can get defensive. So, so assign good intent right. to the person who's helping you. But now now let's talk about the person who's trying to help. Rather than say something like, well, you know, you probably didn't learn a lesson you were supposed to, you know, it can be, okay, so it seems like you're having the same experience over again. So what did you learn when you had this experience before? Instead of making a statement, ask a question and let them answer and say, okay, so when you look at that and you see the experience now, what else do you think God is teaching you? Because God doesn't teach us everything all at once. It's like, it's like a, a several-course meal. God teaches you and fills you up, and you can only take so much. And then as you grow, maybe you'll get the same, a very, very similar experience again, so you can grow on the experiences and the lessons you learned. And then the next course, you can grow on those experiences and so forth. So it and comes, the dessert, Rick. Can't forget the dessert. <laughs> okay, and the dessert is, hey, I got this. I don't need to go through this particular experience again. But the point is, let's be aware of each other and try to continually build each other up. So that's a really, really good and important question. Let's get back to Taryn, what parents should know and what parents should do. This is getting down to the real nitty gritty of figuring things out. What do you want every parent to know about mental and emotional issues, especially with children? If you could talk to every parent in the United States, what would you want them to know as a basis for understanding? I think it's so important for parents to understand that that they're not at fault. They can work through this. They can support their kids and they can get support as well. You don't have to be alone in this. And there are people out there who are so willing to support you through this hard work. And it's okay to reach out for help. Your message to every parent of every child is, look, this is a, a process. Don't assume you're breaking them. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can just take it a step further, assume that you love them and you want the best for them. When somebody needs help, what, what should they do then? What should they do as parents if they feel like something's wrong? So I think it's important for them to always rely on the providers who are already involved in their lives, pediatricians, um, doctors that, that might see their child on an ongoing basis. Those would be really great resources, particularly um, for mental health services in that family specific area. So they can always reach out to those providers. They can also reach out to their local hospital or children's hospital to find out if there's any resources or supports that that those places can offer. Like most hospitals have social work departments. So it would be a great step to, to ask that department, can you provide me with a list of referrals for local agencies that provide support 
to children dealing with anxiety or depression or behavioral issues, whatever it may be. Okay, good, good. The whole point is reach out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So, you know, that answers your question from earlier, Julie. What should a parent do? You start with your pediatrician. If you don't know anything else to do, go to the pediatrician and say, something's not right, and let them help to guide you. If you have children's services in the area, it's okay to give a call. It's okay to ask for referrals, but you want to delve into that really what may look like a scary world of professionals who can actually help to you to deal with the issues you're having. So lots of things that we need to know, lots of things we need to do. The point is you are not alone unless you choose to be. Don't choose to be alone with something like this. It's, there's too much, too much on the table. Jonathan, let's get back to some scriptures. Our personal parental control can be framed within this simply stated biblical process of thinking in this next verse, and these I know are, are, are two of your favorite verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and, and we're going to take them in pieces. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's where we start. Trust in the Lord a little? No. With all your heart. Then what? And do not lean on your own understanding. See, that's the test to see if you trust in the Lord. If you really trust in the Lord, you won't have to lean on your own understanding because you're trusting Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And again, that's the test. Are you leaning on your understanding? Because if you will lean on your understanding, acknowledge Him in all your ways. That's what we need to do. Acknowledge Him, and what happens? And He will make your paths straight. He won't necessarily make them easy but he'll make them so you can navigate them. And that is the point. Rick, just because I did it, I called a social worker, I talked to a, uh, a nurse, a doctor, does that mean it's done? Yeah, no. <laughs> that means it's done for the first time. And now there's the follow-up. And then some things we have to do again and again and again and again. Folks, this, is a, this can be a lifelong issue. It doesn't have to be. We don't know. It depends on the child. It depends on all these circumstances. The point is, let's make the efforts. What's our final parenting strength point for this segment, Jonathan? A personally controlled parent is not perfect and is not void of anger or frustration. They are, however, daily seeking greater awareness of the role that anger and frustration play in their daily lives, and they diligently work to rein in their emotions. So to be a controlled parent doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean you're going to try hard. It does mean that you've got anger and frustration. That's all okay. And what if you're not good at controlling those things? That's okay. Start. Do the 1% rule. If you're not there yet, start now. Take small steps. Every small step forward is one more step to build on so you can do a better job helping your child who so desperately needs the best that we can find in ourselves to give to them. Working at controlling our emotions is an absolute key to being able to help our children control their emotions. We absolutely want to help our children through their troubles. What is the last necessary principle? 
our CQ crew is always giving you podcast extras, like our exclusive weekly newsletter that highlights featured episodes you may not have discovered yet, video content you may not have seen yet, CQ Rewind show notes, extra Bible study questions, and social media highlights, all packed into an easy-to-follow email inbox delivery. Sign up now by texting CQ Rewind to the number 22828. That's CQ Rewind with no spaces. Text to the number 22828. We never sell or give away your information and you can unsubscribe at any time. It's easy. So just send us a text and you'll be subscribed. Strong parenting in circumstances of dire need always requires perspective, big picture perspective. Understanding the magnitude of God and his eternal plan and the smallness of our own struggle in relation to God helps us to continually look up for direction. Faith has got to be a part of our lives. Our conscience needs governing. Let God do that governing. Let him do that job. And we're going to be talking about conscience, the parental conscience here, Jonathan. That's our fifth parenting principle. Let's go with that. A conscience-driven parent is needed to raise a challenged child. To be a conscience-driven parent, and if you aren't a parent, but you're a family member, friend, aunt, uncle, this applies to you too, there have to be in willing submission to a cause and force higher than you. Faith, if you're Christian and you're raising a child with issues, faith is such a critical part. Don't let this experience be outside of your faith. Let it be surrounded by your faith as you seek the right kind of help. That is how we glorify God in these kinds of things. The human condition, conscience is at best unreliable. Let's remember that. Our Christian conscience needs to be tuned to the biblical principles of godliness and Christ-likeness. That's the high road of spiritual integrity. This is a process that requires awareness, focus, and action. Let's plant our feet in having our consciences tuned by God. Let's go back to Taryn and as she discusses stigma in relation to parents. Let's talk just briefly about the stigma for parents. Do you find that the stigma, the, that again, and sometimes stigma is just simply perceived. We perceive it's going to be and it may not even be there. But do you think that it's hard, harder for parents and for kids? And would that be a deterrent to going through the process of getting the kind of help you need? And, and what can we do about that? Yeah, I think that sometimes it can be harder for adults than kids because, look, we have more years of experience hearing negative perceptions about mental health and mental health treatment. So it can be really hard for us to get past some of those viewpoints. And I think it's important to also remember that sometimes the what we say and how we say it can impact how kids feel about mental health and mental health treatment as well. So I really like to try to make sure that we provide that space for parents to be able to talk about that it's I learn from parents when they share what their fears are about receiving support and accessing treatment with providers and so it can help me learn a great deal about their family and 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 how we need to start talking about things what you do for a living (laughs) has a lot of uphill challenges because you really are starting with a, a lot of unknowns when you're dealing with the human beings that come before you. Now, there's, there's you know, certainly clinical definitions and, 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 and procedures and so forth. But I imagine every child starts out with that sense of it's unknown and we have to learn. 
does that ever overwhelm you? Um, yeah, I think I, I, it would be silly to say it doesn't. Certainly there's moments where I, I kind of take a step back and a deep breath and say, okay, we're, you know, this is a, a wave we have to ride together and we do that. And so the way you deal with being overwhelmed is you listen and you ride the wave. <laughs> we ride the wave. You know, and, and, and it's a hard thing that folks like this do, but it is such a necessary thing and it's such a powerful thing. And, you know, notice you were talking about, and this is how I learned from parents. So when you're in this situation and using those who are professionals, be as honest with them as you possibly can because the more they learn the better they can apply what they know to help you and your children and your family get through really hard things. There's a trust thing that you find those professionals and you watch them work and you see that they're, they care. And that's the big thing. They truly do care. So take your, have faith in them that they can be a, um, driving forces to help pull you through really difficult times. So our conscious, conscience-driven parenting has to first be patient and humble before God. And, you know, these are repetitive things, but it's so important. Kids who are fighting anxiety and depression notice our patience and notice our humility. So let's make sure that we're giving them something to notice. James 1, 19 through 22. Jonathan, we'll do 19 and 21st. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know, and this is very much what Taryn has been saying through this entire podcast. Listen, that's what the scripture says. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So listen, that's the basis for moving things forward. Next, our conscience-driven parenting needs to swallow its pride and to be receptive to God's word and God's will. What's verse 21 of James 1? Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So what this is saying is adjust. Put aside the things that you no longer need as a parent when you're dealing with a child that's got these special uh, challenges. Put this aside the things you don't need anymore and just focus on those things you do need. So you, you, you learn through listening, then you adjust, and then James chapter 1, verse 22 is going to be focusing this conscience-driven parenting on being driven to act in accordance with God's righteousness. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Drive forward. Listen, adjust, and drive forward. That's what Taryn is teaching us on a physical earthly in the sense of dealing with our children. We need to learn that in a spiritual sense, through faith, through prayer, through fellowship, through study, through constantly looking up. And Rick, as parents, we're faulty, we make mistakes. And when getting ready for this podcast, you, you made a statement that we need to laugh inside. What, what does that really mean? Well, you know, sometimes when, when children are going through difficulties like this, they'll say things that are just completely outrageous. And instead of being mad, inside, you just got to laugh. You just got to let off the steam because you've got to realize that they are trying hard and they're a little bit lost 
and our patience has to be the the thing that they can hold on to. And so, yeah, you've got to learn to laugh at those things, even though then you're like, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Because it just helps you cope so we can help our children cope. And isn't that the bottom line, helping their kids cope? Okay, let's go back to Taryn. Uh, and, and this is an important piece about what parents should be watching out for just to, as they look at their children as they're growing up and saying, hmm, something may be a little bit different. Listen in. So, Taryn, what would you say to parents and children in terms of dealing with these things? What should they be looking for? What, what are your, your words of advice to, to kind of get them in the right place? I think it's so important for parents to know that they are the expert in in their child. They know their child very well. So you know if there is a change in their behavior or their mood or how they seem to be at home or at school. And if it's something like a child who previously was really outgoing and all of a sudden is isolating or doesn't seem to have an interest in the types of things that you sh- that used to bring them joy. Um, those would be things I would say, let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, changes in behavior is something to always look out for. So acting out, more tearfulness and crying, appearing more worried than they usually are. So again, it's just you, you know your child. And if there's a change that you're concerned about, that's something to start asking about. I think it's also important to know that if a child is talking about feeling like want to hurt themselves or all of a sudden they're talking about death a little bit more or even using the word suicide, those are scary words. Those are scary topics. It's okay to let them talk about that with you because it gives them a safety net for talking about something that's really hard that many people fear judgment about. So take a breath. If it's a topic that comes up and listen, and if you're scared, it's okay. And if you're not sure what to do, that's okay too. There are resources in your area for people who can provide support around those types of things. That's an empowering statement to any parent. You're the expert on your child. So if you see something that is not looking, that it's it's in accordance with your child's normal characteristics, pay attention. I think that's what you're saying. Pay close attention. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes those things can happen, um, you know, little by little over time. And sometimes there can be a dramatic shift suddenly, Um, you know, whatever it may be for your child. If it's something that you're noticing, it's worthy of starting to talk about or ask questions about, hey, I noticed that you don't like to go to soccer anymore. You still love soccer. Has something changed? Is there something that's going on on the team that you're having a hard time with? Um, You know, and just asking simple questions like that. And they'll talk about it if they're ready. And if they're not, they won't. But it's still something that is, I would say, you know, don't give up asking questions. And that's a beautiful, beautiful way to to begin to conclude this. Don't give up asking questions. And, you know, the idea behind asking a question is to be willing to wait for and listen to the answer. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes they don't always have the answer. And And I think that that's also okay. They might not know what to say. And so sometimes they just might get frustrated that you're asking them all the questions that you are. Um, But I think what it shows them when you are willing to ask and you're willing to sit through whatever silence may come up is that you're going to be there on the other end for, for when the time comes that they're ready to tell you what's going on if there is something that's going on for them. 
You know, and folks, uh, as you listen to this after the live podcast, listen to that soundbite again and again and again. It is so full of practical, clear advice as to what to do and how to handle it. And if you get the Seeker Rewind, it'll be written out for you so you can make notes on these things. It's so important. And this is a professional who's saying, here's how to handle the hard things, like when they talk about suicide or hurting themselves. It's scary, but listen, and then make the appropriate communication to somebody who can help you know what to do next. Folks, such important, important information. So as we wrap this up, a conscience-driven parent, conscience-driven parent seeks to rise up to the present uncomfortable challenge. You know, Joshua, when he was taking over from Moses, Moses dies and Joshua is now going to bring Israel into the promised land. Moses was the unequivocal leader and Joshua is given this job when he doesn't necessarily want it and doesn't necessarily know how to do it. Here's what God said to Joshua, Joshua 1, 8 and 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Sometimes for our children, we need to be a Joshua. You might not be ready, but you're getting the experience, which means God thinks that you are. Let him give you the strength. Let him give you the courage. These are important things, and we can position ourselves to do good by our children. Taryn's final comments. Taryn, as we wrap this up, I just have to tell you that folks like you that do the work you do, I have such incredible respect for the not only the professionalism and the experience, but the incredible patience and wisdom it takes to take these children that have such difficult issues and to walk with them and to talk with them and to listen to them and to help build them up and to sort of embrace their families. It is such incredible work. I just, I'm, I'm in awe and I thank you so much for what you do, who you are and just keep it up. Thank you so much. Well, I'm I'm merely a tool in the room with our families that we work with and, and all of the hard work is really done by the kids and the families. We just, we guide it a little bit, but but it's all them. Yeah, guide it a little bit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Taryn, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, she says she's merely a tool in the room. I submit to you, she's a smart tool. You know, there are, there are you know, you, there's our phones and there's smartphones. Well, Folks, we need smart tools in the room. We need professionals to help us when it's beyond what we can deal with. Jonathan, what's our final parenting strength point? A conscience-driven parent strives to be willing to rise to the challenge of caring for and supporting their troubled kids even when it's overwhelming and the path is not clear. They approach with godliness and humility first. You know what? And the point is, that sometimes when we're, we're there, we don't feel like I'm not conscious driven enough. That's okay. If you're not there, what do you do? You start. You take a step. You take another step. You apply the 1% rule and just work toward doing those things that would be God honoring by protecting and helping your family. And folks, get the help you need so you can have the success for your child and you can give them help and hope and a future. You know, these things don't necessarily get cured in some kids, but they get managed. That's the key. Learn to manage by God's grace. This is so important. Think about it. 
Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, totally different subject. What does the Sabbath look like for Christians? What does the Sabbath look like for Christians? Talk to you next week.